Okay, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, how far will we go? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But ye, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also." When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So, again, the title of this message is How Far Will We Go? And what I wanted to do just real quickly is look at some of the characters that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture and see how far they went to, uh, to see Jesus. So you have the Magi, Matthew 2, 1 through 3. Uh, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, we know that the Magi were wise men from the East, we think East, we may think uh, the East Coast, we may think China, but in their situation where they were at, Bethlehem of Judea, part of Israel, the East was more than likely Persia, Babylon, uh, um, you know, Iraq, Iran, that which we know today. And so uh, these, that means now these wise men would have traveled about eight to 900 miles now, how do we travel today? We're always looking for better ways to travel, right? Uh, if, we, if we have a car, we'll travel by car. If we have access to a plane, we'll travel by plane. Uh, if we had a train, I'm sure many of us would travel by train. If we don't have any of that, we're looking for a vehicle. How many of us, um, I'm reminded of a story of a, of a guy that had just got a job, and he really needed a job desperately, and his car broke down. And he needed to be at his job. It was like something 20-something miles away. And the only thing he knew to do is he knew to walk. And so he, stood, he went on Google, determined how long it would take him to get there walking. It was like seven hours. He began the journey. He walked because it was first day of a job, and he didn't want to call in, and he didn't want to lose a job, and so he began to walk. That's 20-something miles. These people on camel, on also walking, went eight to 900 miles because they saw a star that was pointing them towards a promised child, a promised ruler that was to be born. Well, how did they know that? Because these were descendants of the magicians and the sorcerers and the astrologers that Daniel used to be over. And that very Daniel who taught 
the king Nebuchadnezzar and the kings of Babylon about the Christ through his life, uh, uh, through the scriptures, um, also began to show them the promises of the very scriptures of a child that was to come. And so from that very time in 500 BC, 500 BCE, from that time forward, uh, they were looking for that promised child. And 500 something years later, they saw a star that was saying to them, because God spoke to them in a language they understood, the stars, that child is being born and that star will lead you to him. And they were willing to go eight to 900 miles on foot, on camel, bring a bunch of stuff with them, all their resources that they had to give the child to go and see this Messiah that was to be born and to worship him. Amazing. Now, the rulers of God's people, the rulers of Israel, um, they should have known more than the magicians and the sorcerers who were not part of the people of God, but were taught by Daniel to look for the coming Messiah. These were the people of God. These are the ones that knew the scriptures. And the very king of Israel had no idea where the Messiah was to be born. What does that tell you? He wasn't looking for him. And the people, the, 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 the scribes and the, and the, uh, and, and the, um, the uh, lawyers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew where to look for him, but they weren't looking for him. Because they had no clue that there was a star pointing to where the child was. So it says here, when the Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled? If you're looking for the Messiah, wouldn't you be happy? But if you're looking for another king to come and that's not in your best interest, you were troubled. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, he said to them where he was to be born. They said in Bethlehem of Judea. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, you go searching carefully for the young child. Not, I need to go search carefully for the young child. You go do it. How many of us, you know, we got uh, uh, somebody that's excited about the Lord, and we may not like it, but we might say to them, you know, if there's something to this, go and find out. And if there's something to it, come and, then you can come back and tell me. But really what they're trying to do is they're trying to get rid of you. And that's what's happening here, right? So the distance, and here's the interesting thing, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is not eight or 900 miles. It's about five miles. So even though they were of his people, these rulers and leaders would not go the five miles to find out for themselves whether this child that was to be born was indeed the Messiah. Why? Because they didn't really want him in their midst. Isn't that amazing? What about the shepherds? Shepherds, the Bible says in Luke 2, 8 through 12. And by the way, shepherds today, we kind of look on shepherds and say, hey, man, those are, those are great people. No, the shepherds were not considered to be the elite of society. They were considered to be the poor and the dregs of society. They, they were doing a job that needed to be done, but it's not something that people wanted to aspire to. All right? 
So anyway, these shepherds, it says in Luke 2, 8 through 12, there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, did you notice that God knew how to speak to the shepherds in the same way he knew how to speak to the magi? He spoke to the magi in a language they understood, and he spoke to the shepherds in a language they would understand. Now, here's the thing, Luke 2, 15 through 17. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, how many of us this morning, obviously not you guys, but this morning looked outside and said, hmm, it's too cold to go to church. Even though your house is warm, your car has the potential to be warm. Some of you even have these little things on your car where you can start your car remotely and it'll warm up your car before you give it in, ever get in there. You know, but you're in your PJs, you're drinking your hot chocolate and you're saying to yourself, well, I'll go to church on another day. Right? But these shepherds were out in the cold. They were out in the middle of the night. They had stuff to do. They had sh uh, sheep to tend to. But when they heard the news, see, it's not a matter of the distance. It's a matter of your heart. Right. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. What matters is what's your heart. And so these shepherds, when they heard the good news, they left everything, and the Bible says they went in haste and said, let us go see this child that the angel said to us is found in Bethlehem. So while they didn't have to go very far, maybe they had to go, these were the fields on the outside of the city, maybe they had to go to half a kilometer, a kilometer, half a mile, a mile, you know, for those of y'all that don't know what a kilometer is, um, you know, but they went when they heard the news to find this shepherd, this true shepherd, this child that was to be born. How about Jesus? How far did he travel? Bible says in Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, what this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also one that ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So when the Son became a man, he came from heaven to earth. What we're going to find in the passage I just read to you, not only did he go from heaven to earth, he went from earth to hell. He went from the highest high to the lowest low, back to the highest high. I want you to know that he made a long-distance journey. Why? He left the glories of eternity behind, and he began a difficult church journey, ultimately sacrificing his life on the cross for himself? No, for you and I. See, the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What a great distance he traveled. What a great price he paid. It was not too far for him in his mind to go for us. John 15 and 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's own life for his friends. How about us? The Bible says in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. How about us? How far will we go? Hopefully, into all the world around us. It is this love that was demonstrated to us by Christ's willingness to leave heaven and come into this world that should motivate us to leave the comforts of our familiar environment, not just to go to church, but to go where he sends us, to participate in what is most important to his heart, and that is to go to the lost of this world and help reach them for him. His heart is for the lost souls of this world. And God's desire is that we would go and reach them. Ah, You know what that means? It means I'll have to record all my favorite shows instead of watching them live. It means I might have the potential, somebody might spoil the episode for me, you know, and I, and I won't get to see it, and it's just not going to be the same. I'm going to miss the World Cup. I'm going to miss the Super Bowl. I'm going to miss my favorite teams on TV. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss that. Imagine if Jesus had said, I really don't want to leave the streets of gold. I, I really don't want to leave the comforts of heaven. I, I, I really enjoy being God. I really enjoy all the perks of sitting on the throne. You know, I, I don't think I should be bothered by, I, I just, it's just not worth the price for me. Is that what he said? But it's what we say when we refuse to participate in that which he demonstrated was the most important thing for him. We have a hard time going to church when it rains, right? Right? I don't have any clothes to wear to go to church. Do you really not have any clothes to wear? No, because you have clothes to go to work. You have clothes to go to the mall. Some of you go to the mall in your PJs. So I don't really think that's the problem. What's the problem? Again, it's not about that. It's about your heart, right? Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for that one amen that we got this morning. It was worth it. Some of you are going, I wish I hadn't come to church this morning. I want to read to you a, um, it's out of, uh, it's out of um, Leon Van Ruyen's book, Beautiful Feet. And just to let you know, you don't have to travel a great distance to go. You don't have to, the shepherds didn't travel a great distance. The rulers didn't travel a great distance. That they could have traveled, but they didn't. It could have been a shorter distance. Now, the magi did. So it's not about the distance. It's about the heart, right? So I want to read you the testimony, and then I'm done, all right? Several years ago in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, and said, Excuse me, Pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch and said, You've got three minutes. This man proceeded to share his testimony. He said, I just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney, Australia, and just a few months ago, I was visiting some relatives, and I was walking down George Street, he continued. And a strange little white-haired man stepped out of his shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? 
He went on to say that he was puzzled by those words. Nobody had ever asked me this question before. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines to Heathrow, I pondered this question. I called a friend who was a Christian, and he led me to Christ, and I'm now a Christian. After his testimony, everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. The same Baptist pastor flew from Adelaide, Australia the next week and 10 days later in the middle of two and in the middle of a three-day series of meetings in the Baptist church, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. She said, I used to live in Sydney and just a couple of months ago I was visiting friends in Sydney doing some last-minute shopping down George Street and a strange little white-haired elderly man stepped out of the shop doorway and said, excuse me, man, are you saved? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. Now, this London pastor was very puzzled. Twice within two weeks, he'd heard the same testimony. He had to travel to preach in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth, Australia, and when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of the church took him for a meal, and he said, "Uh, Mate, how did you get saved? And he said, I grew up in this church from about the age of 15. I attended the boys' brigade. I never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else, and because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney about three years ago, and an obnoxious little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway and gave me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I told him I was a Baptist elder, but he wouldn't listen to me. He shared that he was... was, He shared, this man shared that he was seething all the way flying home on Qantas Airlines. I told my pastor about the incident, thinking he would sympathize with me. However, my pastor shared that he had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He was right, and my pastor led me to Jesus three years ago. Now, this same London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Kensington convention, Kenswick, and he shared these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching, four elderly pastors came up to the speaker and said they all got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little white-haired man on George Street who gave them tracts and asked them the same question. The following week, the pastor flew to a similar conference in the Caribbean where he shared these testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said that they all got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that, in the name of this man, Mr. Jenner's efforts, and asking the same question on George Street in Sydney. After the Caribbean conference, he stepped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak to about a 1,000 naval chaplains at a convention. The chaplain general took him out for a meal where he shared how he became a Christian. The chaplain general said that he was serving on a United States battleship and was living a reprobate lifestyle. While doing exercises in the South Pacific, they docked in Sydney Harbor for replenishments. He shared that he hit King's Cross with a vengeance and got blind drunk. He got on the wrong bus that stopped at George Street, and when he got off the bus, this elderly, white-haired man jumped up in front of him, pushed the pamphlet in his hand and said, Sailor, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven? The chaplain general said that the fear of God hit him, and immediately he was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship. He sought out the chaplain, and the chaplain led him to Christ. He then began to prepare for the ministry, and now he was in charge of over 1,000 chaplains. 
Six months later, the London preacher flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northern, northeastern India. At the end of the conference, the Indian missionary in charge of all the missionaries took, his home, took him to his home for a simple meal where he shared how he came to Christ. He was in a very privileged position as he worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. He was sent on an assignment to Sydney. He was doing some last-minute shopping and laden with parcels of toys and clothing for his children walking down George Street. And there, a courteous little white-headed man stepped in front of him and gave him a pamphlet and said, Excuse me, sir, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He was very disturbed by this question. When he got back to his town, he sought out the Hindu priest for help. The Hindu priest gave him some advice that would satisfy his curious mind. The priest told this man to go and talk to the missionary at the mission, ha at the mission house. The advice to go to the missionary was good advice because that day the missionary led him to Christ. He quit Hinduism and immediately began to study for the ministry. He left the diplomatic service and now by God's grace was in charge of all those missionaries and winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Eight months later, that, uh, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, and after the conference, he asked the local pastor if he knew an elderly little man who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street. He said, I do. This, his name is Mr. Jinnor, but he doesn't do this anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The pastor asked if he can go and meet Mr. Jenor, and they went to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny frail man opened the door and invited them to have a cup of tea. After making them tea, he sat with them, and this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. The little man with tears running down his cheeks said, My story goes like this. I was a sailor on an Australian warship, and I lived a, a reprobate life. And in a crisis, I really hit the wall. One of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell to, was there to help me, and he led me to Jesus. My life was dramatically changed, like night and day. I was so grateful to God that I promised him that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day, as God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill and I couldn't do it, but I made up for it other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I've done this for over 40 years, and in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. In 14 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Mr. Jenner had to be committed. The willingness to share the gospel was an act of sheer gratitude and love for Jesus. Though never seeing any immediate fruit, he kept sharing the tracks faithfully on George Street. Evangelist Dave Smethart's wife did a count and discovered that 146,100 people were influenced by Mr. Jenner's efforts and had come to Christ. Love is not convenient. It will demand that you persistently and consistently give of yourself. It will demand that you go outside of the comforts of your home, outside of the comforts of your, of your lifestyle, and it will demand that you be willing to go and travel and do things. And when I'm talking about travel, I'm not talking physically, but it could be physical as well, to give of yourself. However, the lifestyle of self-sacrifice is more rewarding than selfishness and indifference. Now, Mr. Jenner didn't have the ability to travel, but he went beyond himself, and he went where he could to reach people for Jesus. Jesus loved us before we loved him, and he sacrificed his life for us. 
like him, we are to love the lost and out of love sacrifice ourselves to win them. This godlike love is birthed by our love for the master. It is this love for Jesus that will, in love, take us beyond ourselves to witness to those whom he loves more than life itself. So the question becomes, how far will we go? If we don't go, who will? Reminds me of a story, and I'm done. Of uh, There was a woman, a very famous account, it was very sad and tragic, but a famous account, something that happened in New York City. Uh, in an alleyway, there was a woman being beaten and raped. And all the people in the buildings, they looked down and they were watching what was happening. And uh, nobody did anything about it. And when they came back and they interviewed, and they said, did you see what was happening? Everybody in that area, all of them had heard. They saw what was happening. They said, why didn't you do something about it? I thought the other person was doing it. And they went to the next person. I thought somebody else was doing it. And they went to another person. They said, I thought somebody else was doing it. And in the end, nobody did it because everybody thought somebody else was doing it. And the woman died a tragic death. I don't want anyone in our sphere or scope of influence to die because we kept thinking somebody else was doing it. God is not calling someone else to do it. God is calling us. When you get the news that Jesus is doing something somewhere, Jesus said, I, uh, my Father is still working, and since he's working, I'm working. When you find where the Father is working, we need to go beyond ourselves because we are his mouthpiece. We are his instruments. If we don't tell them, no one else will. Like God told uh, um, through Mordecai, like he told Esther, he said, if you don't do this, God will raise up someone else because he has to have a person to do it. But it doesn't mean that we're going to escape. It doesn't mean there won't be lives lost. It just means God's going to have to look for someone else. The tragic thing is Ezekiel 20, I think it's uh, 20, 20, and 30, I can't remember the scripture right now. It says, I look for someone to stand in the gap, and I could not find anyone. God's heart and desire is to reach the lost. We were lost. And the way we got reached is somebody went. The way we got reached is somebody told them. Now, we may not be able to go because we get older in life. We may not be able to physically go literally to different places, different areas, but we can still go because the Scripture actually says, as you go, as you go where? H-E-B, Walmart, the mall, the doctor's office. I want to tell you something. People at the doctor's office are some of the best candidates for Jesus. Because there, they're being confronted by their own mortality, right? Yeah. Well, I don't go out anymore. I just deliver, have everything delivered. Well, stop doing that. Well, it's convenient for me. It's convenient for you, but it's not convenient for the lost. I just go up to H-E-B, and I haven't put them in my trunks. Are you physically disabled? No, it's just easier for me to do. Well, I want you to start looking at going to the grocery store as an opportunity to share somebody about Jesus, Right? We need to get back to doing the master's business. If Magi were willing to go eight or 900 miles to see Jesus and to worship him, out of worship for him, can we not at least go to the grocery store? 
Can we not go to the mall? Can we not go to our neighbors at our job? Can we not at least go to church? Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you gave. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling us today again into your mission, into that which your heart so longs for, to see the lost come back to you. Let me not just be a spectator, Lord. Let me not be like the rulers, God, who weren't willing to go even a, a, a step towards where you were and what you were doing. Father God, I pray that you would use me. If I can't go, then bring them that I may tell them, Lord. Open doors for us, Father God, because we know that's your heart. And if we ask, we know that you're going to do it because if we agree about anything in your name, it shall be done. I ask that you would open doors for us to share the gospel, that every person here in the sound of my voice would have an opportunity this holiday season to talk to someone about Jesus and that they would be so surprised that some of them will even get saved. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name.